Hi, everybody. Before we dive into the podcast, I just wanted to let the listeners know that career-wise, I launched a digital marketing agency last spring of 2022 called High Five Success Marketing. So to help companies capture new audiences, differentiate them from competitors, and tell their story, I offer a range of services, including website development, SEO, which helps your company rank in search engines, social media management, targeted email campaigns, Google paid ads, photography and videography, podcasting, and marketing material collateral. So if you know of anyone looking to optimize their digital marketing efforts, I would absolutely love to help. Feel free to reach out to me via my email at steph at highfivesuccessmarketing.com. Again, that's steph, S-T-E-P-H, at highfivesuccessmarketing.com, and that's all spelled out. Okay, and now onto the podcast with my lifelong friend, Caroline Fenkel. Fun fact, Caroline was my fifth guest on the podcast over five and a half years ago, and it was one of the most downloaded episodes. So brief background, Caroline, 34, became sober 15 years ago, and since then has made a tremendous impact in the recovery industry. Simultaneously, she also earned her master's degree from Bryn Mawr College and later her doctorate from the University of Pennsylvania. Over the course of her career, Caroline has worked at several credible companies such as Newport Academy, where they offered life-saving treatment for adolescents. However, there was one issue that slowly began to frustrate Caroline. 93% of the adolescent population do not have access to high acuity care. It was impossible to reach everyone that needed help when running brick and mortar facilities. There are major limitations such as insurance, transportation, limited beds, and financial barriers. As a solution, Caroline co-founded Charlie Health with Carter Barnhart and Justin Weiss over two years ago. Today, they are the largest provider of virtual IOP, which means intensive outpatient program, for teens, young adults, and families navigating mental health challenges. They're immediately accessible to any adolescent in need of help, given that they are virtual and accept both commercial insurance and Medicaid, so that finances aren't a barrier. In addition, what separates them from a traditional brick and mortar facility is that rather than group patients together based on their physical location, Charlie Health customizes comprehensive treatment plans by carefully matching patients in groups of peers with similar backgrounds, preferences, and needs. It has been incredible to watch the company expand and disrupt the mental health industry. Hope you enjoy. So Caroline, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been five years since I last had you on. Whoa. Which is wild. Yeah. So a lot of exciting milestones have happened since then. You and Mike have had a child, Ari. Yes. She's three and a half now. Yes. Which is crazy. And you co-founded an incredible company, Charlie Health. Yes. Which we'll get to. Yep. And one of the main reasons I'm super excited to interview you is because you are making such a profound difference in the world. Your work in the recovery industry is nothing short of powerful and amazing. It's been really cool to watch. And your personal story, your journey to sobriety is really inspiring. So I think overall, this interview will resonate with everybody, which is really cool. So before we dive into Charlie Health, for listeners that aren't familiar with your story, who didn't listen to your first interview, can you give us a little bit of background on where you grew up and your journey to sobriety? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up right outside of Philadelphia, I grew up in a very loving home um, with two incredible parents and um, at age seven was sort of discovered that I couldn't read in any capacity. I ended up getting diagnosed with severe dyslexia and going to this special school for kids who struggle with learning. I like to always think of that Zoolander, like kids who don't really read very good. (laughs) Um, 
So I went to this school and I ended up going to go see a psychiatrist and got put onto medication at a very early age. And one of the things that I recognized was that um, I felt very much like I wasn't good enough and Mm -hmm. that other kids were able to learn easily uh, and I wasn't. So, um, and I was also able to really see from the inside what psychiatry and mental health resources look like for a kid that's seven years old. Um, From there, I went to high school and very quickly ended up getting involved with some drugs and alcohol. And I think it really set the blueprint for me. I was put on medication. The medication made me better, made me a better student. And as soon as I got introduced to drugs and alcohol, I realized that I was better on that, right? Um, At age 17, I went to an intensive outpatient treatment program. Um, So that's the first time that I was introduced to what we like to call IOP, which just means multiple time a week therapy. And there I met Carter, who is the co-founder of Charlie Health. Um, I ended up getting into a DUI, totaling my car um, and going to treatment. So again, was able to see from the inside what mental health treatment and substance use treatment looks like. that was shortly after, so you were 17 when you met Carter. Yeah. And you were doing some work there and then you got the DUI. Yeah. Shortly after. Yeah, so when I was 19, I got into the DUI. So, you know, just really kind of didn't really believe in the whole substance use thing and took me a while to believe that I needed to actually remain abstinent from all substances. Um, And I needed something like that to happen, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to, um, in order to really change. Um, They always say that change only happens when the pain of holding on becomes greater than the fear of letting go. So I had to have a lot of pain in order to let go of my drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. um, and to let go of that fear that I had. So um, went to treatment again um, and was able to, at that point in time, really get to know um, what treatment looks like. So my first treatment facility that I went to was filled with 14-year-olds who were doing heroin, okay. um, which is kind of wild when you think about it. And I Where was, was 19. This? That was at Karen Treatment Center. Okay. So that's in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. So that was your first stop? That was my first stop. Um, From there, they sent me, since they knew that I was not doing well with other 14-year-olds as a 19-year-old, you know. And how long was that? Uh, 30 days. Okay. Uh, They sent me down to a place called The Ranch in Tennessee. I ended up later working for that organization that owns The Ranch, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, there were 40-year-old alcoholics. Yeah. Um, And I finally, after a month of being in Tennessee, got transferred over to a program in California called Safe Harbor. And that is where I met other 19-year-olds who struggled with similar issues as me and where I was able to really experience fun in sobriety. Mm -hmm. This all kind of relates to Charlie Health because one of the big things that we believe in at Charlie Health is that connection is the most important aspect to change, right? Mm -hmm. Isolation is the crux of all human suffering. Connection is the antidote. And part of the reason why I was so miserable in my first 60 days of sobriety was because I wasn't able to connect with anyone, other people who looked and sounded like Mm -hmm. me. I just sat in these group therapy sessions with 
14-year-olds talking about shooting heroin into their veins or 40-year-old women talking about how they lost their jobs and their family and their kids to alcoholism. Right. So it wasn't until I had um, other people who were like, yeah, I partied in high school and, you know, I struggled with a learning disability and here I am. And it's like just, a shared experience. Yes. About. Yeah, okay. exactly. And how long was that in California? I was there for four months. Okay. Um, so I came home and... Um, I went to University of Delaware. I'm a big horseback rider. I've been horseback riding since I was three, um, competing at the international level. Um, so went to University of Delaware so that way I could train with an Olympian horseback rider. Um, and after about two months there, became very aware that I was not cut out for college, mm -hmm. especially not college of something that I was not interested in. Right. I just kind of got forced into this major of business. And yeah. I wasn't interested in it, so I stopped showing up to classes, and I went to my dad, and I said, you know, I'm going to um, quit school. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ride horses for the rest of my life, to which he promptly said, um, okay, well, rent is due on the first of the month, yeah. and I'm not paying for the horses anymore, so you're going to have right. to go out and get a job, And um, yeah. to which I then, within... 10 seconds said, I guess I'm going to college. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, and then I typed in horses in college to Google, and I found this school that I could major in horses. And I think that that's, you know, again, a big part of this is when you feel connected to your academics and feel like it's something that you're really passionate about, learning comes easily. Yeah. But when I'm forced to do things like math and take a language and things like that, right. that really kind of exacerbate the dyslexia. It's right. not so great. Right, right, right. Um, so you went to school for horseback riding, and then what was the next steps? So my sophomore year in college, I was looking through the, you know, book of um, electives, and I saw something called couples and family counseling, and I thought, well, I've been in a lot of family therapy, so hopefully I could get past this course pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so I took it, and uh, the, the teacher's name was Dr. Audrey Irvin, and I loved her, and I loved the material, and again, just going back to this idea of I wanted to show up every day, you know, uh, because I felt so passionately about, about trying to help other people who were similar to, to me and give them the help that perhaps I was not given. Mm -hmm. um, so from there, I ended up um, taking every single course at Audrey Irvin. I just signed up every semester for yeah. every class that she taught. Right. Um, and from there, um, I typed into Google yet another pivot in my career due to Google. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, courses and therapy. And I found this thing called equine-assisted psychotherapy. And by my senior year in high school, I'd started up a little LLC okay. um, and started doing equine-assisted psychotherapy. Okay. Uh, and that's how I met my husband. Nice. Um, so how old were you at that point? So at that point, I was 22. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And um, 21, 22. And my husband was in private practice and ha was really interested in equine therapy. We knew each other from colleagues and so we started doing this equine therapy thing on Friday nights yeah. at Thorncroft Equestrian Center in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And um, and out of that blossomed a 11-year yeah. <laughs> relationship. So, um, so, yeah, so that's... How old are you now? Um, how old am I? I'm 34. 34. You're 34 years <laughs> So that was like 12 years ago. So yeah. we won't step, we won't touch on everything the past yeah. 12 years. But I think it's really cool how you met Mike. People don't know Mike's amazing. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, 
Do you think that your work in the recovery industry, both of your work, help you continue on your journey, sobriety? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's a huge help to have somebody who um, who really understands what it is that I'm trying to do and yeah. create. When it comes to work-life balance, especially in a startup, mm-hmm. um, there is none. Yeah. <laughs> Just working 12-hour days for the first nine months. So, um, you know, to be able to have a husband who's really supportive of that and supportive yeah. of my career as a mom and as a wife is a big deal. Yeah. So in those 12 years, can you touch on some of the big milestones? Like you went back to school also, right? Yes. And touch on that too, because that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, so after my, after I graduated from college, I became quickly aware that if I wanted to do this equine assisted psychotherapy thing, I needed to get a master's degree and a license. Um, so I went to Bryn Mawr Graduate School of Social Work. And again, you know, I think you're right. It's, it's a big deal because I, like I said, I, I wanted to drop out of college and never go to school again. Mm-hmm. And all that I wanted to do was go to the Olympics for Respect Friday. Yeah. Um, and suddenly I ended up in graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, and I loved it. I loved every second of it, honestly. Um, and was able to do an internship at in a detox center um, at Miramont Treatment Center and Media. I was able to do another internship at an intensive outpatient program. Um, and from there, I got my dream job. I was able to design, develop, and implement an equine-assisted psychotherapy program for a startup uh, west of Lancaster. So pretty far away. It was a big commute, but that's okay um, because it was my dream job. Yeah. And I was able to design a barn. I was able to get horses in, and I was able to provide equine-assisted psychotherapy to right. patients who were in a rehab, and it just so happens that that rehab was owned by the same rehab that I went to, yeah. the ranch, and right, 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 in Tennessee. And then you also went to Penn, right? Yeah. So and I think it's important to touch on this because you, when you started out, you said you were seven and you couldn't read. Correct. Well, and yeah. now you went to some of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Schools in the world. I was um, recruited over to Newport Academy by Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, she gave me a call while I was working at at Promises Behavioral Health and was basically like, look, we got to start up a bunch of different IOPs and PHPs. PHP means partial hospitalization program. So again, mm-hmm. just multiple time a week therapy for kids that are in crisis. Um, and I said, okay, let's do it. Um, so got recruited over there and... While I was there, uh, Jameson Monroe, who was the founder of Newport Academy, said, um, you know, I, I really want whoever's in charge of this, I really want them to have a doctorate. Yeah. And I said, okay, I guess I got to go get my doctorate. Yeah. How <laughs> um, old were you at this point? Oh, God, 27. Okay. Yeah. So, young, yeah. Um, so ended up applying to only University of Pennsylvania, their DSW program. It's a doctorate in social work. It's a clinical doctorate. Um, so, you know, tried, tried to, to get in there and was able to get in, which was really exciting. And, um, I worked full time and did my doctorate. Um, and luckily it was a flexible program, you know, for people who are working full time, but regardless, it was a big deal. Um, so was able to do this three-year program in two years, um, which was nice to be able to graduate really quickly, Mm -hmm. um, and I actually did my dissertation on the use of technology in a therapeutic setting. And so when um, Carter's boyfriend, now fiance. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, happened. 
uh, gave me a call. Carter basically said, will you please talk to my boyfriend? He's interested in telehealth. He's really interested in IOP telehealth. You have a ton of experience doing IOP. I said, sure, whatever, no problem. I got onto the phone with him and I was just, you know, I was skeptical. Right. Like, this is a guy who's like working in finance, has mm-hmm. an M- has his MBA, working on Wall Street. Right, right, right. And he was like, you know, I really think that telehealth is the wave of the future. And I really think that IOP in particular is this like major market gap. Like there's a gap in the market. And like there's a lot of kids that are leaving Carter's program called Newport Academy where they have nowhere to go. And they're only going to once a week therapy because they can't find anything. And everything is a waiting list. And I've done all this research. And I was pretty impressed with the amount of research that this guy did, given right. that he has never been in behavioral health in his life. Right. Um, and this was in 2018. So before the pandemic, before okay. anything, he had this like great idea. Right. And, um, you know, basically what ended up happening was I said to him, like, that's a really cute idea. And it's like <laughs> super cute that you're trying to like break into the behavioral health field as a finance right. bro. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's never going to work. And he was like, why? And I was like, because telehealth is stupid. Right. And he was like, why? And I was like, because I did my dissertation on the use of technology in a therapeutic setting, and I sat with 40 social workers who all told me how much they hate telehealth. And he basically was like, all right, well, you know, I don't want somebody on my team or, you know, I don't want, right. you know, somebody who doesn't believe in telehealth. Yeah. My dissertation was technically about a pod about doing this idea of having an app um, okay. and wanting to be able to have an app to to follow around people's sleep, their mood, et cetera, and see how exercise and the weather and all these different ways of of tracking their moods can impact them. Okay. Um, but as soon as I started out the prompt with all of the therapists in these focus groups, I would say, so what are your thoughts on technology? And immediately the entire room would jump into, I hate technology. I hate phones. I hate my, all my, all my clients, all they want to do is get off of their phones. Oh, I had a client that went on vacation the other day and, you know, I had to FaceTime them and I can't see their eyes and I can't see their body language. And they all just jumped into it. It was one of these dissertations where you set out to focus on one thing and you end up in a completely different area of focus. And that's what happened. Um, and so I just sort of took everybody's word for it, right? Like 40 people sitting in social work, sitting in focus groups that all are like, yeah, telehealth is like, doesn't work. FaceTime does not work. Zoom does not work. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, and what I can say is that today, some of the people that were the most outspoken about it have not, since the pandemic, have not renewed their leases. Wow. Yeah. Because they all have gone fully yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, you know, basically I became, so the pandemic hit and I became a telehealth convert. Okay. Um, I, so it took the pandemic. Yeah, ultimately. exactly. Yeah. And I think that it did for a lot of therapists. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's the beauty, right? That's the beauty of, of this telehealth stuff is what we know is that so many people have a lack of access um, and specifically to IOP, which you didn't need IOP because you were not in crisis necessarily. Mm-hmm. But those who are in crisis, um, only about 7% of the nation has access right. to a brick-and-mortar IOP, meaning that they're within driving distance. And of that 7%, um, there's usually a six- to eight-week waiting list. Right. And when you're in crisis, you need help right now. Yeah. You don't need help in six to eight weeks. Exactly, yeah. So jumping into that, can we dive into Charlie Health? Yeah. And for people that, um, even for me, I'm not in the behavioral 
health industry that aren't familiar with it at all. Can you tell us exactly what it is? Yeah. Give us the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so we know that mental health is a national crisis. We know that kids are dying every single day due to suicide, um, due to substance use issues. Mm-hmm. And we also know that access, affordable access that's quality to mental health treatment providers is a significant shortage, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And Charlie Health is working to combat that um, in a pretty significant way. Um, Right now, we have thousands of patients in our care, Mm -hmm. which is kind of wild to think about since we only started about two years ago. Yeah. Um, You started in Montana, right? Yes. Okay. Why? Yeah. Uh, Carter and Justin were living in Montana okay. when it happened. Yeah. Uh, but there was also a pretty significant need in Montana in particular. Got it. Okay. Um, so, you know, the goal of Charlie Health is to really be able to take kids who are in crisis and get them into therapy as soon as possible. When a client, when a, any teenager is in crisis, they say, I want to kill myself or they cut themselves. What parents do is they take them to the ER. Okay. And the ER is really great for physical health care issues mm-hmm. and not so great for mental health care issues. So I'm sure that you've read, there's been a million articles in the New York Times about this idea of kids sitting in emergency rooms mm-hmm. in a hospital bed waiting to get mental health care services right. and they can't get them. Right. Um, I like to think of the hospital and going into a psychiatric unit as sort of like the ICU, right? So if you imagine for a minute, if we treated healthcare, if we treated mental health care the way that we treat physical health care, this is what things would look like. In physical health care, you go, you get into a car accident, you go to the ICU. Out of the ICU, you go down to the hospital. After the hospital, you're going down to a rehab. After the rehab, you're going to physical therapy, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one days a week, right? Mm-hmm. In mental health care, <laughs> you end up going to the ER. You end up being in a psychiatric unit. Right. And because of the fact that there's no level of care, there is no such thing as a hospital. There is no such thing as physical therapy. There is no such thing as a rehab. Right. And there are, obviously, Charlie Health is what I like to consider physical therapy, um, multiple time a week physical therapy. What happens is you go from being in an inpatient psychiatric unit, being locked in a ward for, call it five days, to the therapist walking in and being like, so we can't find anywhere that will take you multiple times a week. So you're going to go and you're going to see your therapist one time in the next week. Which imagine for a minute that you get into a car accident, you're in the ICU, and the doctor walks in and is like, let's take out the breathing tube, let's take out the IV. Yeah. Um, we're going to roll you into the lobby. Oh, an Uber will pick you up. And in one week from now, a nurse will visit you for one hour. Yeah. Can you imagine? No. doesn't work. Um, so that's what's happening, though, right now in the United States. There just is no level of care in between. So imagine for a minute that you do that does end up happening to you. You fall you're back in the hospital. And that's exactly what's happening to these kids. The recidivism rate of hospital visits is unbelievable. Right. Um, so what happens is these kids go get out, they don't have proper discharge plans, they don't have any kind of a step-down plan from the care that they're currently in, then they want to kill themselves or, or hurt themselves again, yeah. and they end up right back into the emergency right. room. Right. Um, so, you know, Charlie Health is, is working to be, like I said, that physical therapy. What I love about it is this idea that we are... 
trying to prevent the surgery, right? Just like how physical therapy would prevent the surgery, right? So our goal is to make sure that that client does not go to the ER, does not go to the inpatient or psychiatric unit. They come to us first. Got it. Okay. And we also act as the step down from an inpatient or psychiatric unit. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. like if you had surgery, you're coming to Charlie Health. If you are, we're trying to prevent surgery, you're coming to, to Charlie, Charlie Health. Health. Okay. So if, let's say you're 16, living in the middle of Montana. The closest ER room is like an hour and a half away. Yeah. So that's a limitation, yeah. right? Because if they go to the ER and getting there, and then it's that whole cycle you just talked about. Yeah. So their parents call Charlie Health, and what are the next steps then? Parents call Charlie Health, you know, our our ultimate goal is to never have to even collect insurance information. We believe in democratizing healthcare. Carter and I worked at an organization where if you had commercial insurance and you had added network benefits, you were covered. Um, And we both just saw the impact of that. You know, we were the ones that were on the front lines with parents crying to us because Mm. they couldn't afford Newport. Right. Um, and so uh, we made it our mission to take Medicaid. Okay. Uh, and try and take every single insurance that's out there. Which is incredible. And another interview I listened to with Charlie, not Charlie, um, with Carter, she explained it that someone was like, that's impossible. You're never going to be able to do it. That's like climbing Mount Everest. Yes. And she's like, no, Mount Everest is like, you know, people that have climbed it, but no one's ever climbed this. So you guys literally, like, we're like the first climbers in Mount Everest. We get yeah. insurance companies to come on. Yep. And that's part of the article that we published because typically these individuals are segregated in like a pretty, like you have Medicaid programs and then you have non-commercial programs. But because of the fact that we have our kids together, we're providing the same quality care. A lot of research out there has indicated that kids that are on Medicaid don't do as well. Well, it turns out that if you actually provide them quality care, they do just as well as commercial kids, which is exactly the article that was published last week. Right. Um... So, yeah, so the mom would call and, um, you know, we would take their insurance and, and we would talk through what our program is and why we do what we do and how we do what we do. Um, and from there, we would set up an assessment. Mm-hmm. Usually it's within 24 to 48 hours. Okay. Which, again, scaling this thing has yeah. been really interesting. Right. Um, but right now that's what we're capable of doing, which is incredible. Yeah. And um, so they're in an assessment Typically, the assessment lasts anywhere from an hour to two hours. From there, they end up getting assigned to a group. Okay. Um, And then they also get assigned to a primary therapist. Okay. And that primary therapist is meeting them twice a week, once for individual therapy, once for family therapy. The groups meet three hours a day for three days a week. Okay. So nine hours total of group, plus an individual, plus a family, and then we offer also offer offer psychiatric services. Okay. Um, so all in all, clients usually with us for about 11 hours a week. And then how long is like the process usually? Like They're, 11 hours a week for how many? Is it like three months or two months? Oh, um, average length of stay is anywhere between, call it six weeks and 12 weeks. Okay. Um, it's similar to any other medical condition, right? So it's like you sprain your ankle and you're like, hey, when am I going to be out of pain? Like, right. when are my symptoms going to stop? And the doctor's like, well, your symptoms could stop in like two weeks or yeah. you could feel pain for two years. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. we just follow, like, we don't have a set length of stay. We just follow their symptoms and mm-hmm. then determine once they've met their treatment plan goals, that's when they get discharged. Yeah. You know? Can you go into the advantages of um, telehealth services versus um, like the brick and mortar 
residential treatments that, like you and Carter, obviously you were fortunate enough to go to um, the program out in California um, and it worked for you guys. But what are the advantages of telehealth versus in person? Yeah. So there's two big advantages. One is because of the fact that we mostly treat adolescents and young adults, um, parent participation in treatment is the single largest indicator for positive outcomes. So mm. what that means is the more that parents are involved in treatment, the more likely that your kid is to get better. Okay. Well, engaging parents in right. therapy is very challenging. They oftentimes, right, we now live in a we live in a society that you can only really live with a two-income household. One-income right. households are gone. Right. So with that, that means that both parents are working full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they have multiple kids. Yeah. So now here I am as the therapist sitting in a brick-and-mortar site, and I'm like, hey, mom, can, you come, can by? you come by? We need to talk. And mom's like, no, are you insane? I can't yeah. leave work early. I can't drive a half an hour. I can't sit right. in the waiting room. It's insanity. Yeah. So what happened was during the pandemic, everybody was working from home. So, you know, you know, Susie, uh, you know, ended up cutting herself. And I would say, okay, Susie, is mom around? And she'd be like, yeah, "Yeah, she's in the other room. Okay, Okay. can you bring mom in here? Yeah. Just mom walking across the hall and into the room changes your outcomes tenfold. Because suddenly now she's in the session with you. Yeah. And guess what? The more that she's in the session with me, the more likely that that kid is to get better. Okay. And so then I would say, okay, mom, hi. Um, so Susie cut herself last night. The, you know, the razors are hidden in the bureau behind you. She asked right. me to tell you. Okay. Um, it's best to get those out of the room to help with any kind of temptation. Right. And suddenly you're now in the room with them doing yeah. wraparound services. Now, there's not a world in which we could have that type of an intervention in yeah. a brick and mortar. I would have to call mom and be like, hey, can you go into her room? The, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not, it's just not possible. Yeah. Um, so that's, I would say, one of the biggest benefits is just access to care and access to having the parents and the family session easily able to just walk into the room and have it across the hall and have it in the home and be able to turn it on at the hour and turn it off at the other hour and not right. have to deal with anything. Right. So that, that would be one. Transportation for the kids too, right? Like they totally. don't have to get in the car, like going a half an hour both ways. Listen, going to once a week therapy isn't a big deal, right? I right. can plan out my week. I yeah. can plan on my kid going to therapy for an hour. It's not yeah. a big deal. But planning on dropping off my kid three times a week for three hours a day, going, picking up, dropping off. I mean, it's insanity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then not to mention the fact that none of these are close to public transportation. So let's talk about all of the people who don't have access to a car. Right. Let's talk about all the people who, you know, really struggle with, you know, are impoverished in some way or marginalized in some way. Right. Can you also talk about... um Carter talked about this in one of her interviews, and it's a big thing. You, you talked about it when you first started. The reason that, um, like, your first two stops in the recovery were fine, but they weren't great because you weren't with people that had similar shared experiences as you. Yeah. Can you talk about how that's a huge, like, yeah. mission? Yeah, so that's what I was saying. The two best parts about telehealth is, one, the parent participation, and then, two, is this idea of being able to do patient matching. Mm-hmm. So it's really, a, really neat. Um, 
like I said, the research shows us that connection is is truly the antidote to all human suffering. Mm-hmm. Hearing the words "me too," I've yeah. been there. I know what that's like. Right. Incredibly healing. Yeah. I, incredibly healing. Right. Um. So what we do at Charlie Health is we try to have patients who have similar lived experiences in with other patients who have similar lived experiences. Mm -hmm. So our groups are curated. They're usually between five to eight clients. Okay. Um, And essentially what happens is when they come in, we look at their demographics. So are they older? Are they younger? Are they LGBTQIA plus? Are they BIPOC? Are they, you know, sort of looking at where, what is their demographics, right? Yeah. Then what we look at is what we like to call the chief complaint or the diagnosis. Are they there for self-harm? Are they there for suicidal ideation? Are they there for um, depression, for anxiety? What is it that they're actually struggling with diagnostically? Okay. Then we look at their lived experience. So things like, are they in the foster care system? Have they had familial conflict? Have they had childhood abuse? Right. Have they um, been bullied in the past? Do they have a learning disability? Do they have a traumatic brain injury? Right. Um, And then we place them into groups with other kids that look and sound like each other. And it's essentially this matching algorithm that help us to curate these groups so that way we optimize hearing the words, me too, I've been there, I know what that's like. Which is so huge. It's huge. Yeah. And unlike, you know, I mean, I used to run these brick and mortar IOPs where I would have a 14 year old struggling with, you know, anxiety and school refusal, right? A 14 year old female sitting next to an 18 year old male struggling with marijuana dependence and dabbling on with opiates on the weekends. Right. Well, they would be sitting next to each other because they just happened to be in a 30 mile radius of the brick and mortar and they just happened to show up to the clinic that day yeah whereas now with virtual we don't have we're not we're not bound by the number of seats yeah in a facility right, right. and we're not bound by that 30 mile radius so yeah. it's, it's pretty awesome yeah so incredible so um probably on top me too i just want to make sure you're okay um okay i think we're okay let me see um i want to do like maybe like three or four more minutes yeah Okay, so I think you gave a really good overview of what Charlie Health is. Um, The big research that came out, because one thing, um, I keep going back to the interview that I listened to that Carter did, but she said um, at the end of this interview that she she did, the guy was like, you know, anything else you want to share? And she was like, I think you should interview my other co-founder, Caroline Frankel. Um, cause she's a clinical like weapon, I think she called you. Yeah. Um, but she said that you've played such an integral role because when you guys were starting up Charlie health, you guys, you, you told them like, look, we need to do research to sell to the insurance companies. Yeah. So, and just like, was it last week? All the research came yeah. out. Can you go over what you guys found? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we found significant reductions in in depression and anxiety scores with those who came to our program. But mm-hmm. more importantly, we found that regardless of of their socioeconomic status, yeah. um, we found that they got better at the same rates, which right. is just huge. Yeah, um, and really exciting. And, and we're going to have two more articles come out shortly. Um, and really excited for those to come out as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, so talking about starting a company really quickly, um, did you have imposter syndrome at all? Like, should I oh do this? Oh, my God. And how did you overcome it? Oh, 
I didn't, I didn't have necessarily, should I do this or should I not? I, I knew in my heart that it was a really good idea. And I also was fortunate and privileged enough to be able to jump into something without any true, you know, uh, guarantees. Right. The fraud syndrome really comes up when, you know, you are trying to build a brand and build it off of you and trying to recruit people who are smarter than you. I mean, I work with so many people that are so much smarter than me and so much like just like more organized and more detail oriented and like challenge me in huge ways, but they really are like more intelligent. Like, right. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, imposter syndrome really comes up when you're, when you're recruiting people and recognizing that you need to have people on your team who challenge you. You need to have people on your team who are smarter than you. And right. you know, it's not smarter, right? It's not, it's not a very good way of putting it or more intelligent because I know that there's multiple types of, you know, intelligence out there just like, I struggle with reading, but these are people who don't think the way that I do and Mm -hmm. I admire them for that. Right. So I think that that's where the, where the imposter syndrome comes Comes in. in. Yeah. You guys did it. So you're here. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, How's it working with two co-founders? Um, Carter and I have been working together and work incredibly well together. Mm -hmm. Um, Justin speaks just a different language. Yeah. You know, he has like a completely different, um, kind of perspective on, on everything, which is amazing. It's exactly what we needed. Right. Um, because Carter and I are so often aligned on things. Yeah. Um, but we also, you know, we fight like sisters, which is really nice because we have this underlying trust and love for one another. But when we disagree with each other, we disagree with it passionately. And then we always come to some kind of a conclusion together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being able to have Justin's finance brain on and constantly poking holes at everything that we're kind of making decisions around is just super helpful. Yeah. And can also be frustrating. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, so you guys have been in business for like two years or so? Yeah. Okay. So how did you get it off the ground, like marketing-wise? Did you do it traditional forms or was it all digital? <sighs> um, we had the most incredible outreach representative, Laura Sobolski, and um, she really built the brand and okay. went out. And it's everything when it comes to behavioral health is about pounding pavement, like literally showing up to people's offices, knocking oh, really? on the doors and dropping off brochures, going okay. in the ERs, knocking on the door, dropping off brochures. Is yes. it business to business or is business to consumer or... It's business to consumer, you right? You know, no. It's really business to business more than anything because kids are getting referred to us yeah. from ERs, from outpatient therapists. I mean, sure, of course, we'll get some, but like, right. you know, and I think that it's something like 50-50, 50% come from outreach or referrals, 50% might come from internet, but... Yeah. yeah. Did you deal with um, people rejecting you at first, too? Oh, like, my God. Are you kidding? People, yeah. Well, people don't believe in telehealth. Right, right, right. So it's interesting since, so with the pandemic, so there was a bunch of research prior to the pandemic around like telehealth, behavioral health, telehealth. A lot of therapists said, I hate telehealth. I don't want to do telehealth. Right. Um, and the consumers, so the clients loved telehealth more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now research is coming out since the pandemic that's been showing us that um, the clients that now the providers are starting to actually break that stigma that they had yeah, um, and want to do telehealth, which is incredible. But there were still people who were non-believers. So right. They got it all the time. How are you yeah. going to have a kid get on Zoom for the, you know, for three hours? How yeah. are they going to get, you're like, 
Are you serious? We're treating adolescents. They grew up on iPads. Right. They grew up in front of phones. That's yeah. all that they did. This right, isn't right. hard for them. Yeah. It might be hard for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one more question about the investors, too. Because you guys did a first initial raise, raise right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we've been lucky enough to just find people who believe in us and, you know, who really want to to help us. Yeah. Yeah, which is incredible. Um, is it hard pitching that's investors too? Is that scary? No, I, it's really not because it's just such a great cause. And, um, it's a, it's an organization that, you know, is led by, by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, so I know you had to jump. So I figured that, how are you time? Um, I'm okay. Oh, you're a little bit. Okay. One more question. When you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it could be more than one person. I think of my dad. Um, who's the best? He, who's the best? Um, you know, he grew up uh, like lower middle class family. Um, built his business um, extremely well. He makes boxes, mm-hmm. and he just believes in being honest to every single human being, no matter how much that honesty might hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he just has done such an incredible job building his brand and what he's doing. And I just think a lot about how successful he is as a as a salesman and how successful he is at building up people and giving them careers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I also think of Brene Brown. Yeah. She's, she's my idol. Yeah. And she's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Caroline. You're welcome. Anything Thanks else so much, that I miss? And I no. need to jump on a call. So yeah. Perfect. All this right. So fun. Awesome. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I'm super excited to share more episodes in 2023. To receive new episode notifications, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast through the streaming app you chose to listen to the episode, or you can subscribe to my email list via my website, and that's www.highfivesuccessmarketing.com. And that's all spelled out. Again, it's www.highfivesuccessmarketing.com. And lastly, if you are interested in starting your own podcast, or perhaps you have a guest in mind for me, definitely reach out directly to me at Steph, S-T-E-P-H, at highfivesuccessmarketing.com. And again, that's all spelled out, Steph at highfivesuccessmarketing.com. Thanks so much.